0: As we were singing this last song uh, of uh, praise, uh, sing hallelujah to the Lord, you may have noticed some of the reports that were in the news this last week. There's been a lot of, uh, of demonstrations in Hong Kong this last uh, few weeks because of a law that they were attempting to pass that would uh, enable the, uh, China to extradite those that had been uh, f- f- accused of several different crimes, uh, to mainland China instead of being tried in Hong Kong. And even though there's only about 10% Christians of all varieties in Hong Kong, uh, it's still 10%. The anthem of the demonstrations that has been sung day after day in their thousands of people demonstrating... Has been sing hallelujah to the Lord. Now I don't know if they were singing it in Chinese or if they were singing it in English. Hong Kong was an English colony for a lot uh, a long time, and a lot of people there speak English. Uh, but as we sang that song, it interests me that uh, this Christian song of praise to God became a uh, the anthem of those that were demonstrating, basically against a godless nation, China, to advocate. Their, uh, their rights, uh, and uh, their following of, uh, of the, the Lord. Doesn't have anything to do to, at all with the lesson today, but, uh, but then maybe it does. Because everywhere we go and everything we do needs to be geared toward discipleship. It needs to be geared toward helping ourselves uh, follow the Lord in an effective and dynamic way. We set as a goal for the congregation this year to know Jesus and to know his church better than we had before. And to achieve this goal, uh, one of the things that we were going to do is read the book of Luke several times and read the book of Acts several times. And in so doing, see the kingdom of God as they were implementing the teachings of Jesus and see Jesus and see how he lived and the things he did and the things he taught. And we've been doing that. On Wednesday evenings we've been going through the book of Luke uh, somewhat meticulously, slowly, uh, and we still are doing that. We've made it about halfway through the book and we're about halfway through the year. So I guess it'll take us all year long to finish this book As we look very carefully at who Jesus is. What he said, what he taught, what he did. And on Sunday evenings we've been going through the book of Acts. I think we're at chapter 18 so we'll probably finish the book of Acts before the end of the year. But again we want to see the church. We'll see how people have implemented the way Jesus lived. How they implemented the teachings of Jesus and the spread of the message of Jesus. Jesus. We want to know the Lord, and we want to know His church, because we are disciples of the Lord. We are His church. We are the kingdom, and we want to be that the very best way possible. We want to understand what it means to be the kingdom of God. The next step in implementing this for this year, this year's goal, is a study of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was delivered on a hill outside of Capernaum. Sea of Galilee there is in the distance. Uh, It composes, or it is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. Now, some of the same teachings are found in Luke. Uh, Much of what Jesus said, uh, I think in all of the places he went, and really in all of the cities all the lessons that he taught, I believe we find the context of that, or the, the sense of that, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I, I really believe that that's the core of the message that Jesus gave wherever he went, in all of the different cities where he went, and all of the conversations that he had with people. Certainly, he talked about a lot of other things, but this was central to the message that Jesus gave. Uh, It's what he would have taught everywhere he went. Immediately before the Sermon on the Mount, we read that he was ministering in all of the cities there in Galilee. And people were coming to him, not only from Galilee, but from Judea. And on the east side of the Jordan River, from everywhere, people were wanting to know what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of God. Back in our our text again, Matthew 4, verse 23. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Galilee and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down... His disciples came to him. A point that might be important for us to remember is that the markings in your Bibles and chapters and verses are man-placed. They weren't there in the original text. When they wrote a letter, they didn't set down and mark it in. Well, when we write a book, sometimes we do chapters, but uh, it was just, it was letters. It was script. Uh, uh, the chapters and verses were added years later, centuries later, to help us locate so that when I wanted to read a passage to you, I could tell you where it's found and you could thumb in your Bible and find it rather than just saying somewhere in the book of Matthew (laughs) about the middle or or toward the end. We could give you a, a specific location. Sometimes that's, well, in fact, most of the time, that's very helpful. Sometimes it's confusing because whoever put those chapters and verses in there sometimes didn't put them in exactly the right spot. But I think, and that's the reason why we have some of chapter 4 and some of chapter 5 together, because this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came to bring the good news to humankind. And he brought the good news, or the gospel, wherever he went. Now, someone would say, well, isn't the gospel the message about salvation? And yes, that is true. But Jesus was bringing the message of God's love and the message of God's grace even before he died on the cross, even before our ability to find grace in his payment for our sins. Jesus is, in fact, he, he came to seek and save the lost, uh, Luke 19, verse 10. But Jesus Came to deliver the message of God's love and God's hope. And that's a principal part of the gospel as well. The good news begins with salvation from sin for us today, salvation from eternal death. But the good news is about the love of God and the changing of hearts to be like Jesus. And so Jesus preached the gospel on that hillside by Capernaum that day. And it was the message of God's love and God's care and the message intended to make us better. To make us like God. To, make, to change our hearts, our character, so that we could be like Jesus. Jesus. It's a message that he preached everywhere. In fact, he began his ministry in Nazareth where he grew up. And he began that day reading from the book of Isaiah and told the people in the synagogue that that day, this passage today is fulfilled in your hearing. And it was a message of God's love for the downtrodden, for the hurting, for those that were seeking Hope for the future. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a, bu- a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garland of praise instead of a faint heart, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of. Of the Lord, that He may be glorified. So He fulfilled that passage in Nazareth that day. It wasn't a message that the people wanted to hear. They said, Well, that's Jesus. He grew up here, uh, and He's wanting us to think that He's the anointed, and they tried to kill Him. But Jesus stuck with that message, and from city to city, wherever He went, He went preaching hope for the poor. Hope for those that were afflicted by Rome. Hope for the downtrodden. Preach freedom to those captured by sin. He opened the doors to those who were in prison, oftentimes of self-imposed hatred or the unwillingness to leave a sin, to change a lifestyle. And the guilt there that followed. He proclaimed God's favor and grace that would come. God's justice would reign throughout the land. He'd bring comfort to those who mourned and bring garlands instead of ashes. His message would be that of the oil of gladness instead of sadness. Sadness. Those who are the Lord's would be called oaks of righteousness. And they would glorify God, but the world would glorify God because they would see a changed people. And the message of Jesus, in fact, did that very thing. It changed those who believed in Jesus. They weren't the same that they had been before. Obviously, they would be changed in their relationship with God because they would be forgiven of their sin. But what affected the world was that they themselves were different. They lived differently. And they made the world a better place. It changed first who they were. They became like Jesus. They lived like Jesus. Jesus brought salvation, but he brought a new way of being, a new way of living, a new way of interacting with those around them. And the Sermon on the Mount is that message. It's the message for us. This is how we need to be. This is our character. This is our lifestyle. We're going to follow Jesus. This needs to be who we are. It becomes good news to all who live then, even within our sphere of influence. Wherever Christians go, If we're living like Jesus, then our lives become good news because we make that a better place. Maybe we don't always live like Jesus. Maybe we don't always do what he wants us to do. But when we're living like Jesus, we make the world a better place. The message of Jesus is almost reverse of natural thinking. It seems counterintuitive to us. And the reason for that is that we are more affected by the natural world, the sinful world, than we want to admit. We still think like the world thinks, like the world controlled by Satan. So when we read this, we think, that doesn't make sense. That seems wrong. It is the opposite of worldly thinking. Our normal thinking is self-serving, self-indulging, self-preservation. We're going to fight for ourselves regardless of who we hurt. We're going to hold on to everything. We're going to build our barns. I'm not going to worry about you. <laughs> you worry about you. I'm going to build my barn. Our world says, deny yourself nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Grab all the power you can get, all the pleasure you can get. Our world says, enjoy every pleasure. Don't be constrained by anything or anyone. And if anybody tries to, especially now, if anybody tries to restrain you with some moral code, tell them they're old-fashioned or they're ignorant or they're prejudiced or they're hate mongers or whatever. Our world says, Take as much from as many as you can. You only get one chance. Take it all. Jesus didn't say that. And the good news of Jesus changed much of the world's culture so that the world became a different place. Even so that at times the kingdom of God has had sufficient influence that the virtues of Christ have become accepted by the large part of the population. But an unfortunate truth is that that doesn't generally last very long because Satan fights back and he enters in and he he seeks bit by bit chipping away at this till he has us, even though we may call ourselves children of God, followers of Christ, he has moved us back over here really in worldly thinking. And since he moved us all at the same time, we didn't realize that we have become trapped again again in worldly thinking instead of Christian thinking, spiritual thinking. See how it contradicts (coughs) the natural way of thinking? Uh, Matthew 5 verse 3, if I am poor, then I am blessed. The poor are blessed? Doesn't seem right. If I mourn, I am blessed. That just sounds like a contradiction of terms. If I am persecuted for righteous sake, then I am blessed? How is that a blessing? It hurts to hurt. If people say terrible things about me, I am blessed? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. No, words hurt. (laughs) If I hate someone, if I curse someone, am I now wrong? Well, they curse me first. Lust is also bad. Not just adultery, not just fornication, but lust is also a sin. Can I look, God? If somebody slaps me on one she I'm supposed to turn the other one to them? That didn't sound right. What about justice? What about who what about my rights? The message Jesus gave runs right up against the message of the world. And when we find his message odd. I think what that means is that we are more influenced by the world than we're willing to admit. I got to love my enemies? Even pray for them? Okay, God, give them what they deserve. Oh, wait a minute. If they get what they deserve, will I get what I deserve? I think we are more influenced by the world than we want to admit. The kingdom of God is completely opposite the kingdom of the world, the, the kingdom of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. Perhaps not completely the opposite of our world because Christianity has affected But I'm afraid all too often. (laughs) The values Jesus came to give this world have always been true. Sometimes we forget them. Uh, And the world has, I think more recently, really forgotten them. Even the world that calls itself Believers, even the world that calls themselves disciples. You know, as man corrupted the image of God, began worshiping the creature rather than the creator, he also began corrupting the values of God, the character that God wanted in his people. We began to accept the values of the king of this world, or Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And in a world controlled by Satan, it is might and power that determines what's right and true. And when the powers that be says this is true, then the world goes uh, goes along with that. But that doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it right. The good news... Jesus came to proclaim, tells the right, what is right, and what is true. And so it's important that we know Jesus, and we know the words of Jesus. In the kingdom of the Lord, the sword would no longer determine what is right and true. God does. And the kingdom of God would change things. And Jesus was talking, he says, the weak will be strong and the last will be first. And again, that seems to be counterintuitive. It's because we are still so controlled, so influenced by Satan. The power, the might, the force of Rome are Greece our Babylon, our Hitler, our Iran, our the USA cannot rule over God. God establishes what is right and what is wrong and God has a value system that our world does not always accept. If we're following the Lord Jesus, we need to know what He wants from His disciples. And so faith and service to God would be different from the kingdoms of the world. In the pagan world, the gods were feared because of their terror, the terror that they would bring on people and the calamities that would come. And so pagan worship was designed to appease the anger of the gods, to buy their favor. Jesus would introduce to the Gentiles a God who loved his creation and gave only good and perfect gifts and called for people to serve him from love and devotion and to serve one another and be like him, giving good gifts to each other as well. Some of the Jews, that is the the Sadducees, they saw God as distant and really unconcerned with humankind. Jesus spoke of a God like Father who loved his creation and wanted good things for them and wanted to be involved in them. With them. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees that were there and the multitudes that came, who had seen God as a type of accountant who had a list of checks and balances, and, and serving God became a very legalistic thing, a, a, a balance sheet. Well, have I done this much and that much? And, and Jesus reminded them. God wants your heart first. Yes, it's important to be physically uh, 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 proper and right and do the right things. But if God doesn't have your heart, your actions don't really mean much at all. The kingdom of God would be different than any of the kingdoms They had yet to come. Jesus would tell those that day on the mountainside, You've heard it said, but I say to you, a change is coming. Jesus wanted to change the way people saw God and the way people would respond to God. He wanted them to serve God and one another in love and devotion and fairness and gentleness and concern. Jesus changed personal morality to include the heart as well as the actions. And so for the next several weeks, I want us to look at the Sermon on the Mount. It takes about 15 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount. If you're an average reader, some might read it in as few as 10 or 12. Some might, like me, take up to 17 or 18. But uh, uh, read those three chapters. Let me encourage you this week to read it several times. Some of you that got a better mind than me, you might even memorize it. Read it from different translations. Read it from different translations. Of course, if you're doing that and you read it from different translations, it's hard to memorize. You need to pick one translation. And if you're going to memorize, stick with that one translation. Uh, Get to know what Jesus says. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the more significant passages in Scripture. And that's kind of dangerous to say one passage is more important than others. It's all important. It's all the Word of God. But the Spirit of God has given us this message from Jesus to tell us about our character, who we need to be, who God wants us to be. So we need to know this passage. Yeah, there are other passages that talk about salvation. There are other passages that talk about how we worship the Lord, uh, how we serve the Lord, and how the church is organized. This passage tells us how to live. We need to know how to live. We need to know how to live with one another. These are the words of Jesus on Christian personality. We need to change ourselves to be like Jesus. He begins with the Beatitudes, the blessed. Jesus calls us to be different not only different from the irreligious world, but different from the self-righteous religious world, different from the religious pretenders. We need to be like Jesus. And that will likely mean that we will have people speaking badly about us if we're really like Jesus. Maybe one reason the world doesn't speak too badly about us is because we're more like the world than we are like Jesus. Are we like Jesus? Are we, the king? Are we in the kingdom? I think all too often we're trying to have dual nationalities. Dual commitments are... The principal problem, I think, in the church today. We try to have dual nationality. We try to live in two worlds. We we want one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot in the kingdom of the world. So that we're enjoying the best of both worlds. (laughs) Well, that's not going to work. Major conflicts, I suppose, are really rare uh, between the kingdom of God and the nation we live in. It's we don't have official persecution against us. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, our warfare is really not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare against Satan. And so it's our mind that's in conflict here. Part of us wants to be in the domain of Satan. We want to enjoy all of the pleasures or what we think of as the advantages of the world. And that steals us away from the kingdom of God. Jesus would say, Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. I think we could put almost any other word in there for money. I think the original Greek is mammon, which is the food that God left in the wilderness for Israel. We could put almost any word there. Ourselves, fame, power, self-indulgence. We cannot serve any of those things and also serve God. You gotta choose one or the other. There are some nations that permit dual nationalities. Ah. Uh, You can be a citizen of two different nations. The United States permits that. Our children were born in Brazil, so they are Brazilian. Our son Ron has a Brazilian passport as well as a, 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 a U.S. passport uh, and uh, has even traveled using both passports. Uh, some nations do not allow dual citizenship. You have to choose it used to be the case there uh, in the United States. At 21, they had to choose one or the other. The United States doesn't require that anymore, but it does say if you serve in the army of another nation, then you run the risk of losing your U.S. citizenship. They say, in essence, you've made the choice. Uh, The kingdom of God does not allow us to be citizens of the kingdom of Satan as well as the kingdom of God. God says, choose. Make up your mind. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a Christian? Then be a Christian. If you don't want to be a Christian, then follow after the world. Satan would really like for us to keep dual citizenship. Because he knows that's not what God wants. And so he tries to fool us. He says, yeah, you can be one of both. You can be in both. Yeah, say you believe, just still follow the self-indulgence. Say you believe and, and be part of the uh, God, but you know, live in hatred. Live in sin. He wants us to keep dual citizenship. But we can't. We have to choose either God or the world. Citizenship comes very natural when you're born in the nation. That's, you know, that's the, the norm around the world. And it's, the, it's right in the kingdom of God as well. Jesus told Nicodemus, "There had to be born again to be in the kingdom of God. John uh, 1 verse 13, John talking about the disciple, talking about the reason why Jesus came to the world was so that we could be born into the kingdom of God. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. When we're born of God, then we can be in the kingdom of God. John would write still later in his life from 1 John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, whoever, uh, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Do you believe? I think that everybody here believes. It's the reason why we came today. But I don't know if all of us obey the commands of God. I don't know that all of us are willing to be really His disciple and not try to keep dual nationality. With one foot in the world, let me encourage all of us to be devoted to Jesus and to value that citizenship in the kingdom of God and be like Jesus. You know, we're immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of our sin as part of our obedience to Him when we become His disciple based on our faith that he is the Christ, based on our desire to serve God, repenting from the past world, deciding we're not going to be part of the kingdom of Satan anymore, but we're going to be part of the kingdom of Christ, then we are born again of the water, born in baptism to be raised a new person, a new citizen of the kingdom of God. Some of you as of yet haven't done that. You need to be born again in the kingdom of God. Let's be standing in just a moment. We're going to sing a song of praise to God. And while we're singing that song, if you want to be born again, the water's ready, it's warm. Uh, you can be buried in Jesus for the remission of your sins. Be part of the kingdom of God. A new Citizen of that kingdom. Or maybe you have done that. But you're struggling with that dual nationality. And you, you want us to pray with you. That you might be singly devoted to Jesus. Some of us here at the front will pray with you. And there will be others in the foyer ready to pray with you. That you might be wholly devoted to God.